1: underway on a Sports Saturday, let us show, slightly abbreviated, because we'll bring you the Twins and the Rays, Game 2 of that three-game set from Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg coming up. We'll talk more about the Twins later on in the hour. Megan Ryan will join us uh, from Florida, uh, talk about Game 1. Tough night for Dylan Bundy, Twins get beat in Game 1, Corey Kluber, the Rays starter, Uh, pitched a very good game indeed. Uh, We'll have some sound from the manager and a couple of highlights from Friday night's Game 1 and then uh, set sail for Game 2 today. Chris Hatterbury standing by at 2.30 for all our pregame stuff. Uh, The Timberwolves season is over. They got beat by Memphis four games to two. They had three big leads in the fourth quarter in this series. They just couldn't finish so the Timberwolves head into the off season, But uh, it, it was quite a regular season. Uh, exceeded expectations, went in as a 7th seed, won the play-in game, beating the L.A. Clippers, and had a number of opportunities. You could argue the Timberwolves had a great shot to win this series in 5 games. They end up losing it in 6. And uh, the Wild have learned uh, their playoff schedule, at least Game 1. They will play the Blues in St. Paul. Monday night, but a late start, tough start time on a school night. Uh, it's Liz to this 8.30. I would think by the time they finally drop the puck, it'll be a little bit closer to 8.45 on Monday night in game one, and that uh, will be on television on ESPN. So the Wild and Blues start the playoffs just a couple of days after the Timberwolves exit the NBA playoffs. season uh, uh, two st- Stu Thornley at Timberwolves games, and uh, he is a big part of what happens at Target Field uh, for Twins games as well because he is the official scorer, and Stu's been around the game for a long, long time and has written a, a, a lot of wonderful books about Bayes Paul. And uh, Stu is good enough to join us today, and he's got a brand-new book. Uh, he he was an author and editor on this project, and it's called Metropolitan Stadium, Memor- Memorable Games at Minnesota's Diamond on the Prairie. Stu, good to visit with you again, I hope all is well.
2: Yes, it is, Steve, and uh, good to talk to you again. I uh, enjoy seeing you at all of these events, Target Field, Target Center, and maybe Target Field again. We won't be a Target Center for the Timberwolves for a few months.
1: Yep, uh, the season comes to a premature end, but uh, the Twins season just getting started. And Stu, I wanted to ask, you're involved in another book. Uh, you are an author, a contributor to this, and an editor of this project. But how many books have you been involved with over the years?
2: Well, about 20 adult books. I've also written children's books, but uh, about 20 adult books about a lot about Minnesota sports history, Minnesota baseball. Um, first book I did back in the 80s was on uh, the Minneapolis Millers, the minor league team with a great history with Ted Williams, Carl Yastrzemski, Willie Mays that played at Nicollet Park. Uh, so I've been... There always seems to be some project coming along, and and this one, I'm a member of the Society for American Baseball Research, known as Sabre. And they've had a project for about nine years for people to write up stories of baseball games, just like if you were covering the game. And that got a lot of entries, and then some of the people started putting these together for books, such as memorable games at the Astrodome. So a few years ago, I decided to see about doing one on Metropolitan Stadium where both the Minneapolis Millers played for five years, and then the Twins from 1961 to 1981. So many of us, that's where we got introduced to baseball. Uh, Just uh, terrific memories that we we have a very nice baseball stadium. It wedged in the Vikings. It wasn't as good for football, but it was a terrific baseball stadium. And this is a way to kind of celebrate that. Um, This book has both some different narratives, such as, a history of, of Met Stadium, how it was built for the purpose of luring Major League Baseball here, even though it took a few more years. And uh, there's a special section in here on, uh, just in case anybody finds it interesting, on uh, postponed games at Met Stadium. Uh, we can kind of compare it to how many postponements we've had now at Target Field, but uh, every game that was postponed at Met Stadium, both during the time the Minneapolis Millers played there for five seasons and the Minnesota Twins. But the bulk of the book is uh, stories. Stories of memorable games there, all written by members of the Society for American Baseball Research.
1: Stu Thurley joining us and uh, part of a brand new book about the Met and that there's got to be a story about uh, the flood year and how uh, a helicopter had to bring in, I believe, Jim Cott into the game. I mean, th- th- there, there's a lot of weather related incidents, and, and, and we, we've certainly had some weather games at Target Field as well. But, you know, weather is a huge part of the story of the old map.
2: Well, yeah, we we had more postponements. You know, one of the things at Target Field, the grainy just so great that there that uh, it doesn't games don't get postponed for wet grounds if it's raining maybe they can't play but at met stadium it could be uh, some rain or snow and it might just make the field unplayable but the game you mentioned Steve April 12th 1965 the end of the Yankee dynasty the beginning of the Twins great season in which they went to the World Series because they opened the season at Met Stadium against the Yankees they beat the Yankees in extra innings and this was the, the spring that we had the memorable flooding. And some of the players, including the starting pitcher that day, Jim Cott, lived south of the Minnesota River. And they would often come up on the Cedar Avenue Bridge. Uh, that was closed. That was not the current bridge, it was an old bridge that often would get closed because of weather. And they had to go around to what I think was 35W at that time. That was so backed up, and, and they were panicking how to get there. And they were able to get a hold of Paul Giel, who was a sports director at WCCO Radio. And Giel had a helicopter sent out. I think it landed in the parking lot of Burnsville High School and picked up, I think it was Cott and, and uh, Dick Stigman, but Cott was the guy they had to get in there. So they had to helicopter Kim in wow. for that
1: game. <laughs> Just, just great stories uh, about the old mat, and and one of them, uh, and uh, of course great memories attending Twins and Viking games and other events at, at, at the old Met before it was eventually torn down, and we all know the Mall of America sits on that site, and there is some memorabilia uh, at Mall of America, including uh, Harmon Killebrew's legendary shot to the uh, bleachers in the upper deck and left. Um, is there a story about that in the book? Because that that's got to be one of the, one of the one of great tales of Matt Stadium and how far Harmon hit that ball.
2: Right, and that that is in the book. Uh, in fact, the author for that particular story, Tom Brown, wrote June third and June fourth, nineteen sixty seven. On June third, off Lou Burdett, Tillibrew became the first player to hit one into the upper deck. And it was measured at 430 feet, which doesn't sound a lot. But remember that the measurements at Met Stadium were taken point to point, not on estimated distance and how far it would have traveled. And they they then made an estimate that it would have traveled 520 feet unimpeded. And the next day, another game against the Angels, they had just made the announcement that they're revising the home run distance to 520 feet. And Killebrew hit another long drive off the facing of the upper deck a little farther out towards left center field. <laughs> uh, so the, 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 That exemplified Killebrew. That was the majestic sight. That's the one that I carry with me more than anything else. I was, I was watching Harmon launch one of those high drives that was a no-doubter. You knew it was going to be out, but it was, it was just majestic. And he, So he became the, the first player to hit it into the upper deck. The next day he hit the facing of the upper deck and there was another strong man who didn't never mastered the curveballs, Bobby Darwin, who also hit a home run into the upper deck in about 1974. I think it was. Wow,
1: yeah, and and there was a lot of talk about Harmon's home run at the Met recently because Byron Buxton hit that mammoth walk off on the last home stand, and a lot of people thought, "Wow, you know that that was the clout as well."
2: And, and it was, you know, and it, and it was. We have three decks at Target Field. That was. An impressive one, I think, measured at 469 feet. And they're using more sophisticated information on these estimates. That's why at met stadium. They really did have it down. There was a uh, man in 1963 used geometry to figure out the distance from home plate to every seat in the ballpark. And that's why you didn't really see these mammoth numbers because it was always point to point the first kill- the first home run killber hit at Med Stadium in april nineteen sixty one was well up on the batter's eye at, at straight away center field and wow. I think they measured that at four hundred and fifty feet and later on then Reggie Jackson hit that one uh, july fifth nineteen sixty nine off the top of the scoreboard in right center field at the far end of it, and I think that was Uh, distance of that was around the the same thing. But for the the long one that Killebrew hit off Lou Burdett, uh, they did do an estimate. And when they moved into the Metrodome, they started using estimated distance that would have traveled unimpeded. And now we have all these sophisticated measuring devices that, that do that. And that's what measured Buxton's at 469 feet the other day.
1: Yeah, exit velocity, launch angle, et cetera. Stu Thornley joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. And uh, Stu's brand-new book, and a lot of folks contributed to this, Metropolitan Stadium Memorial Games at Minnesota's Diamond on the Prairie. It was released in early March. Stu, how do people find the book? How do they pick it up? Um, It it,
2: it should be in the bookstores, or, you know, you can get it online for the usual book places but the other thing to do would be to go the society for american baseball research publishes go to their website sabr.org look under publications and people who are members of saber which is only 65 dollars a year they can both get a pdf copy of it or order it at about half off uh, the
1: price Well, Stu, always good to visit with you, and congrats on the book, and I know a lot of folks contributed to that. Uh, Great, great memories of the Old Met.
2: Yeah, Oh, yeah, they are. They do bring back
1: the memories. I wish we could go back to that time. Yeah, for sure. Stu, enjoy the day. Thanks so much, Steve. Good talking to you. There he is, Stu Thornley and the Twins' official scorer at Target Field and still very involved in baseball, Sabre, of course, and that new book. About the Met. We're going to take a break. Much more on the Twins coming up. Pregame 2:30. First pitch just after three Twins and Rays from St. Pete. And Chris Archer will be on the mound for the Home Nine today. By the way, uh, Stu joined us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Quick break. We'll come back. We'll go outdoors with Steve Carney on this rainy Saturday here at News Talk. E3OWCCO. All the news, all the weather at 2. Megan Ryan from Tropicana Field. She's covering the Twins for the Star Tribune. Game 2 coming up, pregame show 2.30. Chris Atterbury on the pregame show. Corey Provost, Dan Gladden with all the play-by-play. Twins had their long winning streak snapped on Friday night. They'll try and start another one today with Chris Archer on the mound. Right now we're going to go outdoors and joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline, Steve Carney and Steve Outdoors.com. Steve-O, how you been?
3: Hi, I've been okay, Steve. I'm in a really good mood today. Um, not very nice outside, raining a lot here in lakes country. Believe it or not, the ice is still not off the lakes, if you wow. believe that. Um, So, yeah, we're being antagonized by the ice, but uh, this week it looks like I'm going to get my 2022 open water season started this week. Big Stone, Traverse, wide open, fisher biting well. It's kind of like all the lakes south of I-94 are pretty much open, and the lakes above I-94 through the state still have ice. So it's going to be a southern Minnesota, southwestern Minnesota deal here for at least a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, and you, you, for years have talked about Big Stone and Traverse and uh, being uh, uh, a good spot to consider for the opener because of water temps up north. Generally, year in and year out, it's just too cold for a good bite.
3: Well, it's going to be probably fifteen degrees warmer water temperature wise, Steve. Especially when the uh, inland opener, you know, is just a couple of weeks away. Uh, right now, the water temperature on those lakes are high thirties, low forties, and when you get into the low forties, the walleyes are post spawn. Uh, they're done. They're ready to start biting, and it's just a really it's a really good option. And I got kind of a little list of some of my lakes over the years. I've been doing this for fifty years, and I've noticed you know early spring, late spring can make a big difference on your lake choices for the opener. Um, I'm going to throw out a bunch here, and you'll notice the. Um, they all are very shallow, windswept lakes, which is, you know, really important when you have a late spring. That's kind of the common denominator. Uh, Big Candy, Ohio off Highway 12. Um, Emily by Glenwood, Parle, uh Hendricks in southwestern Minnesota. Uh, Long Lake by Starbuck. Uh, and I wouldn't go much farther than maybe Knife Lake up by Mora. Um, Knife is very dark water. Um, it's actually, its origins were a river, so it's fairly shallow. It's a good crappie walleye lake, but I wouldn't really advise going much north of that on the opener. Uh, there could still be ice on Leech Lake and Winnie by opener. And, you know, even if the, the ice goes out immediately, you just don't quite have enough time for those walleyes to recover from the spawn. So, um, that's just my advice, but I've, I've seen this before. This isn't my first rodeo.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And uh, there's been good news in the fact that there was plenty of snowpack and that we have been getting rain because low water levels were a big problem. We talked about it a lot. We should be in better shape uh, thanks to the snow and rain.
3: Well, you know, the good news with all this rain, Steve, is that warm rain is, is, you know, going to warm up these lakes faster than they normally would, which is good. It's uh, accelerating the ice, I think, a little bit, but... You know, that's a lot of, you know, 40, 50-degree rain that's coming down, and that will really uh, increase the water temperatures, you know, quite well, especially when the ice is gone. Um, But I came up through the cities today and up through uh, southwestern Minnesota and, you know, the Mississippi River, all the river systems are really up there. And I think, you know, they're up, which isn't really a good thing if you live along the river, but this is going to really help our lakes. We're so low You know, last fall, last summer, about as low as I've ever seen it, and I think all this precipitation, even though we're not enjoying it this weekend, is really going to help getting those levels up. People will be able to get their docks out. You'll be able to get the bigger boats in some of the smaller lakes. So this is really important. I think it's really going to help a lot. And, uh, you know, so far it looks like the beginning of the open water season is is really going to be pretty much excellent for water levels almost everywhere.
1: All right, look forward to your report in one week, and good luck, as always.
3: Thank you, Steve. I'm so excited to actually be floating on the water <laughs> instead of walking on it. <laughs> it's
1: it's, it's going to happen. All right, Steve, take care. Take care. Steve Carney, stevecarneyoutdoors.com, has been joining us for years on the weekend, sports schedules permitting, and uh, typically a little bit later in the day on a Saturday, but with, with the Twins game in uh, St. Petersburg today, uh, we, we wanted him uh, to jump on a little bit early and give us a fishing report. and you know, A lot of folks I've been talking to during the week that have big plans for the openers. Traditional spots up north, there's still ice, so uh, we'll need to keep our fingers crossed so we get a warm-up, and the forecast shows that uh, things are going to warm up a little bit. We'll get some sun and temps in the 60s anyway in the cities, and that'll certainly help matters. By the way, we have all the news, all the weather at 2 o'clock. We'll get you up to date on some of the sports headlines. And then get you said for the Twins and the Rays. Uh, more on the Twins. Megan Ryan will join us from the Trop. As she covers the Twins for the Star Tribune. They had that winning streak snapped Friday night. They'll try and get another one started today. Chris Archer on the mound against his former team. Twins and Rays pregame at 2.30 with Chris Hatterberry. You're on the home of the Twins. News Talk.